Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. The last show from the terrarium. Yes, here we are in the people terrarium. The people terrarium. You got a little moss on you there, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't shave this morning. Sorry. (laughs) You're not the only one. Yeah. And uh, Paul Yuck is here. Andrew Hall is here. We're going to be talking Azure, of course. And uh, but first, we have this little thing we have to do called Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, man. What do you got? I am also talking Azure. I, I, I appreciate that. I like your your symmetry. I like your I'm yeah. picking up what you're putting down. And I I hope that I'm not stealing some thunder here. But when we talked to uh, Scott Hunter a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago, depending on what your perspective is. Uh, he told us about uh, Azure SignalR service. Uh, yeah, you've got to love this. And I, you are the SignalR guy. I went nuts. I was like, <laughs> this is so great. I mean, not that it's hard setting up a, an ASP.NET website and, you know, making the, the hub and all that stuff. It's not yeah. hard. But what happens if it gets really popular? You know, now you've got to start thinking about backplanes and you've got to start thinking about scaling it and all yeah. that stuff You're that goes with it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, why, why don't you guys just do that? So <laughs> that's exactly what this is, a fully managed service. How about you do that? <laughs> I'll just let you do that. Fully managed SignalR service, and you just deal with the JavaScript or the C Sharp or whatever you want, you know, whatever language du jour you want, and uh, go to town. Instant, real-time, persistent connections. Yes. Yeah. We need to use it more, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, the... I'm always happy when Microsoft takes those libraries they provide to us and they put them in their own products. A, they get better. Yep. B, we're pretty sure they're going to stick around. Yep. And uh, and and you get to see some real examples of what's possible because usually you guys you're able sure, to stress our tools it really would well. really benefit from that. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. refreshing all over the place. And right. You I know, mean, we, we, we use this so little min client for managing uh, uh, .NET Rocks episodes, so how we take notes and keep track of various things and so forth. And is it SignalR it, under the hood? It is SignalR under the hood. Yeah. It took me literally an hour to do. And wow. essentially what happens is as you're typing in a field, it just updates Pops on it over whoever to else is logged so in and looking at that data. And it stops us cool. from stepping on each other. We can both be taking notes and things, and we can literally see each other's notes. It solves the concurrency problem yeah. oh, right? nice. that, that is, you know, has plagued uh, programmers since the dawn of databases, right? Yes. Who's going to get there first? Well, it doesn't matter because we're, we're both there. We're in sync. I just yeah. like to lock Andrew out. That's my strategy. Ah, that's, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it's going to be that kind of day. <laughs> the the, the pessimistic kind there of lock. You go. Yeah. Well, that's what I got, buddy. <laughs> I love everything about that. That's awesome. Yep. Who's talking to us, my friend? Uh, grab your comment off show 1467. So dipping back to August of 2017, a show we did about the Azure platform landscape with Barry Lubrix. I hope I pronounced your name properly, uh, Barry. He's our Dutch friend who's been, who helped me out a bit with uh, Humanitarian Toolbox in the mm-hmm. Netherlands and uh, had a really good story. Just started talking about, and again, admittedly, a year ago, because you guys change this every couple of weeks, sort of what the Azure landscape looked right at that point. And I thought this particular comment was pretty powerful because I think we're going to address it. This is from Majid, yeah. who said, uh, and he only wrote this five months ago, Thanks, guys, for the informative and entertaining podcast that I've been listening to for years. This was a great show that summed up a lot of the Azure services. However, very little has been said about debugging Azure services. I only deal with app services and storage alone, and sometimes the debugging can be really tedious. Mm. I've seen people doing different things like spinning up a computer node to capture a trace and then throwing that into a storage account. Application Insights is still a bit messy and slow. One instance that VS started up an insight uh, an insight resource and the app service started a different one. 
<laughs> That's always a good day. There is a need for an easy trace method. I did create a signal arm method that writes traces to the browser console, and I called it from a static class, and it gets that trace from anywhere in the application, and that solves a lot of problems, but seems a bit bizarre. You know, and I think about sort of modern or maybe old school, like in the DNA days, mm -hmm. you know, app dynamics and things like that. They, they yep. built these kinds of tools and charged a ton for them to follow that sort of transactional path from the web page to the app service to the mm -hmm. database and back again. You yeah. know, those yep. are complicated. And I think it's almost exactly what Majid is describing there. I feel like actually so many companies out there invent their own correlation yeah. scheme. Yeah. Yeah. Really and even after you do it, which is a bit of a daunting thing yep. then you gotta get everyone to use it mm -hmm. and it turns out that the people problem is almost harder than the technical problem right. mm. just make sure you pass this token along in each layer make right. sure it's in there yeah sure like all any broken teams. link you're, yeah, you're, it's kind of like hooped. my Christmas lights that never work yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Majid goes on to say yeah one bad light ruins the whole string right? one goes out they all go out <laughs> there's good Christmas lights I never managed to buy them I have only the bad ones only <laughs> bad Christmas lights <laughs> Majid goes on to say, yeah. uh, I start thinking about other services like the Active Directory and Cosmos DB and the IoT hubs. And, uh, you know, I'm going to need some better instrumentation if I'm going to buy into all this Azure ecosystem. I remember in one show, Richard said something about reducing the cycle time of debug, change, and redeploy, and that that pace sets your productivity. Right. I hope that Azure is paying attention to the same sort of cycle when it comes to debugging services. Uh, maybe I'm missing a lot, but I sure would appreciate a show on figuring out those kinds of problems. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that today. Yeah, and uh, plenty of good conversation to have in that area. I think it's important. So, Majid, thank you so much for your comment. Uh, a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media. So we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and read it on the show, we'll send you some Music to Code By. Yeah, absolutely. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. Keep them in sync. Signal our nice. Azure services. WebSockets are your friend. Yes. <laughs> That's right. No, not really. Uh, let me just formally introduce Paul and Andrew. Paul Yuk is uh, in Yuknowitz, right? Yes. Yeah, but we call you Paul Yuk. Yeah, and I, I like that. Yeah, my Paul friends, Yuk. My friends call me Yuk. All right, Yuk. Uh, Yuck is the Principal Group Program Manager for Azure Tools and Diagnostics. And Andrew Hall is Program Manager Lead for .NET Web and Azure App Service Tools. So you guys are just the people to answer that debugging yes. question, aren't you? You're, I yes. know you're just raring to go. Um, on that. I can answer parts of it. I think there's some good subtleties to that raise, too. So yeah. you mm -hmm. get to think through that. Sure. Yeah. But, yeah, being able to trace connectivity behavior between various platform yep. pieces... That's not a small problem. And no, it isn't. And, and we that. need to help with that. Yeah. With the we being even Microsoft and Azure, mm. right? Because you're, you're hopping through code that you own and deploy. You're working with infrastructure that you no longer own and deploy. Right. That's the yeah. like cool thing about managed services. Yeah. And then um, you even exit the realm of code into things like messaging, like you brought up events, mm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whether it's event grid or service but, bus yeah. or storage queues, IoT hub, all those things. Um, all the way around. So, um, so if I'll, I'll jump into it. One thing we we want to make sure that correlation IDs um, are available through all points of the transaction. So that simply the same correlation ID can be used to search and pull an entire transaction back up in order mm. and show you what happened 
you know, ideally at like the provenance of when something happened. Yeah, sense mm-hmm. of how much time was spent in each layer. How much and time? What kind of where the error message actually popped? You know, that's we, a good point too. Yeah, we kind yeah. of see it at the end of the path. Yes. I, many, many, many years ago, I had a customer tell me, I want you to get this ODBC stuff off all my machines because all it does is cause errors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, we could suppress those pesky yeah, error messages you, for you. you. just <laughs> all kinds of things in, in that one statement, right? So one is, I want to just understand a bit of the anatomy of my transaction. Sure. And just understand mm. what's going on, what how it works. What pieces were involved. Right? Yeah. And sure. a lot of times when I see people diagnosing things, you know, they either draw a picture um, of the components, or they draw this kind of sequence diagram. They're trying to understand at what point could things go wrong and brainstorm what it could be. Right. And so um, a lot of our efforts with the tooling has been able to basically automatically create these kind of diagrams for you based on the data that we can see from the Azure service side. Sure. Um, the, the next thing, I think you talked about both, there's like failures yep. and there's also like performance degrade. Sure. And, and into the same picture, you're going to see both kinds of things yeah um, and, and both latency and processing time consumed right it's, yes you know sometimes it's just a bad connection and you blame it the stored procedure sometimes it's a bad stored procedure no connection will save you totally hmm. um, and then whether you're in dev test or you're in production dealing with a live site issue um, a lot of what we see is kind of the human side of it where it's like is this in my code or someone else's code or in Azure and I'm trying to figure out pretty quickly which one it is hmm. right um, so that everyone saves time and, and you move forward and you fix it, right? And so that's um, really that triage process. I think the correlation can help a lot. It's mm-hmm. like trace the whole thing, see which maybe intersecting components seem to have the problem, and then isolate down to any hints that would tell you what's different or anomalous or, or not good. Right. Um, so, and then long story short, so what did we do? Um, when you're using .NET, we automatically now add um, correlation IDs. Right to requests. Um, you think about .NET is usually the server that will handle an inbound request. Right. And then oftentimes you'll have something like a logger. So if it's .NET Core, it's what iLogger. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's .NET Framework, there's a lot of options like uh, System Diagnostics Trace or your mm-hmm. favorite logger, maybe Siri Log, something like right. that. Yeah. Um, but we want to make sure that the, these correlation IDs are always um, present both inbound and the same one as passed through outbound. And it's just a, make a that GUID seamless view. that uh, yeah, it's like identifies a hashy GUID the, kind of a thing. The whole series of stacks. Exactly. Yeah. So we call it a parent operation ID, kind of like the very beginning of the transaction as far as when when we can see it, hmm. we, would, we would create the ID and then once an ID is present, at every hop along the way, we want to pass the same one through. And right. yeah. if, it's, um, if it's a web application, we just use HTTP headers. Um, yeah. So we we kind of do the pattern that I think a lot of people out there do themselves. Right. Um, so we we plumb that straight into .NET and then also into App Insights because App Insights is a something we control that um, the collective we that can yeah. pass the same correlation outbound. Yeah, I would I would hope that this all lands in App Insights at some point. It does. It, in in fact, we I think we want it in both because there'll be cases where App Insights isn't there. There'll be cases where it is there. Um, and App Insights isn't intercepting inbound requests, so you need the runtime still to help with that. At least technically, that's how we think about do, it. Do, right. Does uh, tracing these IDs get tricky when you talk about concurrency and uh, asynchronous it, parts of the same transaction? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. It, I believe it does. I think you need you need your almost your runtime to keep track of which inbound yeah. uh 
request maps to which outbound requests. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so it's that kind of that one to many and making sure that that happens. Because if you kind of think about it, you could you could approach the same problem kind of outside in and just inspect everything coming in and everything coming out almost like a fiddler kind right. of approach. But then without that mapping internal to the runtime, you don't know which outbound request actually came from which inbound one. And it turns right. out that matters. Like there'll be different inputs. So now you have to keep uh, an array of those things. We do. Uh. <laughs> we have to watch it at all times. And yeah. so that's basically what we're just being really careful that all inbound and outbound are going um, yeah. The same way, and, and they can be encrypted, which is a challenge. Sure, right? There's yeah. HTTPS. And probably should be. And they should be. Yeah. And they, they will be in asynchronous because it's the web. Yeah. So so well, I think you're hitting on a bunch of the hard problems that we had to deal with. Especially think about a big yeah. call to a multiple sets of async awaits. And sure. maybe your error only occurs with a particular order of return. Right. That's yes. right. One call to may, may need to call another downstream service that is waiting on. And then another one is just going into a queue somewhere and going off and doing something exactly. else. Yeah. I think you told me one day, too, that one of the hardest problems you hit, you could only see under an incredible amount of load. Yeah, that, no, that's one of my that favorite resource stories. Contention. It would, yeah, it was, a, it was a deadlock story about SQL Server, right? And the yeah. only time it happened was at peak load, and it wouldn't happen any other time. And, and so I got to a point where literally we were going to turn on SQL Trace during peak oh. to get a copy of the transactions <laughs> that were going like you mean the stupidest time to turn it on well yes that's the only time we're going to need it uh. and the joke of course is when i finally clear enough disk space it's going to generally generate gigs of files and so forth and we're watching all this we turn it on error doesn't occur and it's because the weight of the tracing altered the timing just enough to make those deadlocks go away. It truly yeah. is the inspection effect, right? It's absolutely. Right. You're absolutely <laughs> seeing the observer effect in observer action. Yeah. And of course, the developer's reaction was, well, leave it on all the time. Just <laughs> oh, delete the logs. <laughs> but it gave me the hint that literally led to, I started inserting one second waits into stored procedures wow. and eventually found out it was the timing between two interacting stored procedures wow. that was that subtle. It was oh, just wow. one of those crazy, crazy things. Yeah, that's perfect. You're and doing do events. In I was a stored proc. I was doing vending in stored procs. Yeah, <laughs> that's no. awesome. It's a special kind of hell. And uh, I think that's that's exactly hitting on where we want to go next with this. So there's Azure has insights into the infrastructure and what's going on at the time, and right. you know there's metrics and activity logs for for all of that. And then also in your application, you have these logs, and we want to now better correlate between the infrastructure mm. and the application. Um, just to understand if there's something else that also happened at the same time that could have been affecting the bigger picture, right? right? So, like, if it's resource contention or a deadlock, um, let's take the case of a container. Knowing that your containers were being recycled 200 times yeah. when this was called would probably be useful when you're diagnosing the request. Yes. Yep. And today, the data on its own will be siloed. So, mm. um, so basically, like, step one, we put correlation everywhere. Step two, we built these, like, we call them distributed end-to-end -end trace views, but we show this almost Gantt chart mm. over time from hop to hop to hop and how much time was spent and mm. where the actual error was. Mm. And then you could map those like internal 500 errors all the way to the actual right. exception where, where the where bad data, where started. it actually started. And then I think, yeah, step three is kind of this now overlay over it Azure's understanding of what is also going on and yeah. see if you can find deeper problems. It's mm. awesome. 
Well, talk about answering somebody's comment really? to the show, you know, yeah. and it's not actually what we were going to talk about today, although oh, clearly part and of Azure to Tooling, which is like, yeah, yeah, well, right. it's one of your favorite topics, I, I know. know, personally, Paul, but, yeah. uh, so, but so it, speaking it is of certainly debugging. part of Azure <laughs> Tooling, right? Like, yeah. this, they, we, you know, Azure is Azure and then the, the platform's play is getting better all the time. Like, yeah. we've got great offerings here, but... You know what Microsoft's known for is the great tooling that makes it easy to take advantage of this stuff. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, my boss even he calls it a developer experience because we found a lot of times just to focus on the developer, we actually have to go work deep in the runtimes and right. deep in Azure to make the tooling rock. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, just, I, I, you know, I think that's a really interesting reality that as you yeah. start to understand what tooling you need, you also realize you need that you need to change Azure itself. Yes, right. The two kind of go together. So, yeah, no way around that. It's just yeah. the thing. So, Andrew, how are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> Watching hey, Paul Andrew. do his thing. Yeah, how, how'd you like the show so far? <laughs> Paul gets an A. Oh, very good. Did does. you know Andrew actually worked on the, the core debugger? Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. awesome. I did. I spent uh, four or five years working on the Visual Studio core debugger. Wow. And yeah, to your point, yeah, almost anytime we wanted to do something interesting, we had to go work with the .NET runtime to get mm. features in .NET to make the tools be really cool and really performant. It's usually the. It's usually you just don't have enough information. Like I don't know enough to say something meaningful here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's yeah. fair. Or yeah. it's really like, slow to call six APIs and yeah. stitch the data together. Right. If yeah. we did something new in the runtime that has all the information and we could return it in one call, then right. that'll be significantly faster. And we get back to that observer effect problem. It's so much instrumentation, so much diagnostic tooling mm-hmm. affects the system so much you, you basically can't use it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so it's always yeah, been a challenge to make pretty, that kind of stuff. Uh, I almost. don't know what you guys think in here. I, I often hear like the overhead maximum we're allowed to do for anything diagnostics and debugging total is five percent, five to ten percent. Yeah, I would say two, but then I would say two. Yeah. I'm a web, I'm a web performance guy, right? Where we were super sensitive to those kinds of numbers. And yep. um, the guys who usually the first guys I ever met that really got that were the preemptive analytics guys way back when. Oh yeah, you know they were really big on they would. They would actually dial back their instrumentation as the load went up on the server, and I, you know, we were always testing IIS right at the limit. Like I got really good at getting IIS to literally go around the drain. Wow, we're not going to go down. We're <laughs> just going to hold you right at that edge there. <laughs> and there were it was and it, and sometimes what tipped it over was a diagnostic run, like something mm-hmm. would kick off and grab a set of values. You go <gasps> off, you go right. That you re, the request rate sort of starts to taper off there. Like this is the point where now it's going to start recycling the process over and over again and start the crack. But that's where we're holding it. And then <laughs> all it took was a diagnostic burst, a grab of data, and it went <gasps> boom. Down our first, it went. Uh, right. our first profiler was like a very good node shootdown tool. Oh yeah, yeah. So the, and then we had to reform, and we got better. Yeah, hmm. it's hard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, brutally hard, hard problem. So, what is the new tooling that's being talked about here at Build? Like, what do uh, studio developers need to know? Good things that hap- that, that happen. Yeah. So I don't. We've kind of been incrementally releasing a lot of value since we shipped 2017, a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I think we generally more have talked about the way that we've evolved the tools than necessarily one big giant announcement at, at build. So we did our, released our 15.7 update and our preview of the 15. update on Monday of this week. So Mm kind of gives you, right. That's the seventh and eighth update respectively as we've trickled stuff out. Um, a few of the things that we've done that I think we're pretty excited about is we've just tried to make it easier for the developer to stay in visual studio when targeting Azure. Right. Um, less sending you to the portal to create things. Right. Um, 
And then the other thing that's still relatively new is we like to talk about a lot because I think it's exciting technology and it's where you want to go because you should, hopefully we don't need to pay Richard to uh, make IS perform for us in this world. I don't world. do any real work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is, is serverless computing. So yeah. the idea that you simply provide individual functions and then Azure takes care of scaling them up and scaling them down yeah. as needed. Uh, and so we've been working on those tools. We shipped the first rev of them about seven months ago and we've yeah. been just incrementally improving them ever since. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Matt, the absolutely magic thing. And, and guys, sorry to interrupt, but we do have to take a moment for this very important message. Support for .NET Rocks is brought to you by Conversational UI from Progress Telerik and Kendo UI. Conversational UI are chatbot framework agnostic user interface controls and components that enable .NET and JavaScript developers to create modern conversational chatbot experiences in their web, mobile, and desktop applications. The industry's first package set of user interface components built specifically for chatbots are available as part of Telerik's ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, ASP.NET Core, WinForms, WPF, Xamarin Products, and Kendo UI for jQuery, Angular, Vue, React, PHP, and JSP libraries. By implementing key UI design features such as calendars, date pickers, list views, and others that are included in the tool sets, developers will be able to improve chatbot conversation through visual elements. For more information, visit Telerik.com slash conversational dash UI. And we're back. It's Dot and Rocks, Carl and Richard here at Build in Seattle, talking to Paul Yuck, Andrew Hall, and we're just sort of digging into the main topic today. For better or worse, I'm not have nothing to complain about our initial conversation because yeah, it's it really good. drilling yeah. into some important stuff. Yeah, and uh, I'm feeling like as much as you guys have done amazing things around containers lately, like should we just be writing functions and and just delegating the scaling problem totally to you guys? I don't even want to think about it. Just run my function and make sure my function always runs. So it's a Fair question. Mm -hmm. I think for the most part, they solve different problems and we would suggest that you use them together uh, for what each one does well. Mm -hmm. Sure. So functions are great because you pay per consumption, but if you're going to have something that's going to be running constantly and under heavy load for like inbound requests, so you think about you know, serving ASP.NET web pages, that's not really what functions are right. designed to do. Especially functions are much more event-driven for batch or job processing. So you think about running like a Kubernetes cluster potentially that would be your, serve your serving your web front end. And if that's going to be under load, that probably doesn't make sense to, to run that as, as functions. Not really event-driven at that point other than the HTTP requests coming in. But then as you're taking assets and uploads and things like that and you're pushing them into queues or event hub or service buses, event grid, sorry, not event hub, but um, things like that, then using functions to do all the processing actually is a good way to take some of that load off of the front end so you may not need as many cluster or nodes in your Kubernetes cluster, for example, and so it'd be much more event-driven. So Paul and I gave a talk yesterday, which I thought illustrated the concept relatively well, that it was a basic app. It was just an ASP.NET Core application that the user would upload images. We'd push it into storage. We wanted to do some processing. There's a function that's queued up that whenever an uh, image goes into that blob storage, mm. it picks it up. It does that processing. That's going to scale infinitely and definitely, mm. but I'm not necessarily going to use just functions to serve my ASP.NET application that's going to have all the stuff that the user is interacting with. Right. And, you know, for a website, it makes perfect sense to use the website, the Azure Web Service, because you get all that caching, for example. You know, that's where you can concentrate all that, all that power. But they, I, I totally agree with you. The, the functions are great for 
you know, the, the things that you might be using um, a web API for now, just, you know, service calls, microservices, yeah. things or, that do stuff and report back and call yeah. raising. Or anything you'd be using a web job for today. Yeah, yeah. web job, right. Yep. Yeah, yeah my, my first thought is to use it for like a, whatever you had a worker, yeah. like something they would chew and do some work and it might just take a span of time and then, then it's sort of done. And then it's done, yeah. But yeah. That, that message has changed a little bit lately yeah. because okay. Azure Functions, when they first came out, we were told, don't do any long-running processes in Azure Functions. And clients we're working with at AppVNext right now, we're, we're doing, you know, long-running functions. And there's okay. a way to keep them going and keep them alive. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, that's the norm today, better. isn't it? it? Yeah. And, I, and I think, too, like, it, maybe it's how chatty versus kind of chunky it is, right? Because right? if, you, if you hammer a web API, um, that might be a good case for an always-on kind of yeah. dedicated app service. Yeah. Uh, where a function that it can do it, but then the consumption benefits, you're not really seeing that because it's, it's effectively always on. Sure. Right. right? And, it, yeah. and it, they are sort of inherently stateless. You have to manage state on your own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, to me, it seems like there's only certain pieces. What I like about them is they're independently scalable. Mm-hmm. So you're taking a relatively small bite. And you don't know how much of that you wanna, you're want to. you going to need to scale. So the fact that you don't have to think about it, it just does that. Mm. But there's huge tracks to your apps that aren't like that that are sort yeah. of consistently scaled and are right. more monolithic or, or larger and, and they're just not going to make good functions. Yeah. And the financial benefit you get, you know, the cost savings that you get if you're, you know, if you do it right is, yeah. can be phenomenal. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and the time that you don't spend right. operating and scaling that thing and patching it, it's mm. very cool too. Mm-hmm. So other stuff. Yeah, yeah I mean, some so publish some, updates, right? Those yeah, cool. we just we've worked really hard to smooth out the path of publishing directly from Visual Studio to Azure with the yeah. goal of, you know, I'd like to say, assuming you have your Azure subscription, most applications we'd like for you to be able to take that from your local machine directly into Azure in less than two minutes. Right. Because you um, used to have to download a profile and import it, right? You do you have to do that now? You don't have to do that. So you can create it all from Visual Studio now, uh, mm-hmm. going to, to Azure App Service. Uh, you mentioned containers. Mm-hmm. We give you the ability to provision an Azure Container Registry and publish directly to that all in one mm. flow if you provisioned that. Wow. You can go to App Service for Containers, which will set everything up in both um, both the Azure App Service and the Azure Container Registry all as a part of that flow. Okay. Um, so yeah, for kind of an average web application on a decent network, you should be able to two to three minutes max mm-hmm. while it creates all provisions, all your resources in Azure and copies up your binaries. And you should have it be able to have a running application. Um, Very good. And so, to Paul's point, we've you know focused a lot on just making that as smooth as possible. We redid the UI in our 15.6 update to try to make it simpler, easier mm-hmm. to find additional services. So we give you the ability to create SQL servers and storage accounts as part of that in Azure. So if you have an application that depends on SQL and storage, you can kind of in just one all from the Visual Studio UI, get everything set up, provisioned, and the connection strings will get into the right place and your application should just work when it gets up into the cloud. Yeah, it's great. It, yeah, it, it is awesome stuff and it is interesting to see the sort of the mixture. Like, my biggest battle with Azure is just trying to sort all these different pieces out. Like, there's a lot. Mm, and I'm taking notes as we're going. So you, every time you name a product, I'm grabbing it, <laughs> including in the links, and you rattled off a whack there. <laughs> so, these container services, there's also the Kubernetes service. They're not the same? Mm. Uh, the Kubernetes service is intended to replace the container services. Okay. So even today, if you go into the Azure Docs, there'll be a big pink banner, I think it is, at the top for the Azure container services that says this is being replaced by the Kubernetes service. We recommend you go over to those. So Kubernetes is one. 
Kubernetes is one. Yeah, just, I mean, there's been a lot of different container orchestration services out there for a while. Yep. But I, what I notice about Kubernetes is, A, I mean, certainly runs on-prem, open source, mm. yep. but it's now a service in Google and a service in Azure and a service in Amazon. Yep. So yeah. A I managed mean, service, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and as a managed service, like, you'll literally do the work for me. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, you know, even on top of... Um, I always look at kind of the strength of the ecosystem, and I feel like the ecosystem has really taken off this year, right? So if you're familiar yeah. with, like, Helm charts, Helm charts help you install stuff into the cluster. Then um, you guys bought Helm, like, a year ago or something. Yeah, the, well, the, the Diaz folks... Yeah, we didn't buy Helm, we bought uh, Diaz. Yeah, they, okay. they it, like, the expertise behind oh, all I of see. it uh, joined. So there's and, folks and like Gabe... Um, and then there's Brendan Burns who worked on Kubernetes. They're actually a part of the core team. Yeah, right. Brendan Burns, I mean, he's an open source guy, but he came to yeah. work for Microsoft. So. Yeah, so he's the dev director and Gabe runs the um, the PM team okay. working on AKS. And so, like, we have, you know, some of the, the core founders of the of the projects actually working here, which is really cool. We and learned what is Helm? Yeah, so Helm is a way to in, um, use a template to basically declaratively install and get to a desired state of what's in your cluster. So let's okay. say um, I want to have a sidecar running a particular logging agent. I would declare that in Helm. It's almost like um, it's almost like a bootstrapper or a package manager, but for a cluster. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's the manifest that describes how the cluster is going to behave. You configure ports. You configure what yeah. is publicly exposed versus privately exposed. Sure. So, you know, if you yeah. want your, you have your front end agents. It simplifies the manifest, right? And it's also becoming kind of a unit of extensibility and sharing. So you see mm. that a lot of common topologies or rigs or just app types are now described as Helm charts. And you can go recreate an entire distributed application using a Helm chart. And I think it's worth mentioning, I can't remember if we said it or not, so yeah. apologize, if I'm, apologize if I'm repeating it, but it's a templating language for then generating the Kubernetes manifest. So you could oh, go hand it. author your Kubernetes manifest, right, and then I could check that in, and now when you want to change three things, when you go get clone my repo, but you're going to run it in your own cluster, you might... And so what Helm does is everything, for the most part, is a variable in the actual template. Mm. And then you have the ability of values file or the ability to pass in things from the command line. Okay. And so one thing, for example, we are trying to work on in Visual Studio right now, which we're working on getting to our preview extension to release, is we talked about publish, the ability to publish from Visual Studio directly into an AKS or Azure Kubernetes cluster. And what we're going to do there is because we're going to know all the container registry information and the tag for your Docker image and all of that stuff is we will simply then pass that in as command line parameters when we call the helm. Right. And so helm uses this term charts because it's all going to be a nautical pun. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. In the end, these are YAML templates. Yes. YAML okay. templates describing what the desired state yeah, that of, sort the, of, set right, of, of the application okay. should be. And, Interesting. Uh, a lot this of times, is all configuration bringing, is code stuff, right? It, it is. Like, uh, this is what uh, how this app is supposed is. to live. But you know, it also works equally well when you just fire it at at a test infrastructure. And it, and it simplifies things, like you were saying. Too. It kind of reminds me of whether it's AppGet or Chocolatey. Like it really mm-hmm. abstracts some of the bigger chunks of stuff that you want installed, bigger mm-hmm. components yeah. or servers. Um, so it's easier to kind of construct that entire application right and mm-hmm. the document you're building here is literally the code you run for it so they yep. you know you're not looking at a word doc going oh that's wrong 
Yes. Like this YAML file is, you know, pretty much just clear text set of statements. It says you need one of these and one of those and one of these and one of these and open up this and set this. And, you know, so that's kind of like the Docker file is to a container What you know, this is to a cluster. To a cluster yeah. and application yeah. right. pod. It's correct. It's the same thing. It's a configuration at a bigger, bigger yeah. level, higher yep. level. I love it. Yeah. And so we, we're building, you know, a lot of tooling, like you're saying, that understands not only Kubernetes, but also Helm. So now... Um, there's an extension you can go get, and if you guys caught the um, Azure DevSpaces demo, it was hinted at, it was shown very quickly, but you can you know, create a new solution that's called a Kubernetes solution, or you could take any existing web or server app and say, yeah. add orchestration, pick Kubernetes, and you're going to get these Helm charts, um, and then Andrew's tools kick in and can help you deploy them to Azure Kubernetes service. Nice. That was Hanselman and Hunter that showed that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it showed up in a few a few places. Okay. Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to share the comment that I put at the top of every class I write. Oh, what is that? It says, this code was generated by a tool. <laughs> <laughs> Took him a minute. He got there. There you go. Actually, that you used to see that in you know code-generated stuff. Yeah, you sure. still do sometimes, right? Actually, I, I so love having to explain my jokes. So you don't have to blame someone for the, for That's the right. ugly yeah. code. I have a burning question for you guys. Yeah. Remember the comment that used to say, put your code here? Yes. Yeah. Was that offensive or was that a good thing? <laughs> like, actually, <laughs> uh, that, I've been like, Is code for almost code? 18 years, that's, yeah. I don't know where I stand on Does it. Does my code All go right. here or not? Yeah. All so right. Can I put my code wherever? You can't tell me where to put code. <laughs> the boss of me. <laughs> I can really see it going the other way. Some people are thankful. Like someone uh, finally told me where to put my code. Where to put my code? <laughs> well, it's actually time to give away a D Experience subscription from Dev Express to one of the luckiest members of the fan club we possibly know. But first, everyone knows that Dev Express has great desktop controls, but their web tools are just great. They have this collection of HTML5 JavaScript controls called DevExtreme. And at the heart of the product line are these really powerful and big controls like grid, chart, pivot grid, tree list, and scheduler. But DevExtreme also comes with more than 50 touch-optimized client-side controls. Data visualizers, navigators, editors, lists, dialogues, and notification controls. And general purpose controls like a filter builder, range slider, file uploader, scroll view, and more. Since they're all HTML5, JavaScript, CSS, they include integrations with things like jQuery, Knockout, React, Ionic, and Angular. Plus, DevExtreme controls come with ASP.NET MVC and ASP.NET Core wrappers, so they're infinitely flexible. But don't take our word for it. Go for a test drive at dx.netrocks.com. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Scott Newson. Congratulations, Scott. Yeah. And it's on its way to you, sir. Scott just won the D Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to join the fan club, go to .NET click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of said fan club but you got to sign up to win and we like to ask our guests of course yuck yo yeah i got five thousand dollars to spend on technology what are you gonna buy Ooh, a really cool um what are those things called the back scratcher 
<laughs> Scratch no? Got it. How'd you know that? No? Something else? I don't know. I'm thinking about a security system right now. Okay. Ah. But I want it to be tricked out with IoT. All right. Um, smart cameras and sensors. Smart and cameras things. and sensors. And I, I had a flooded basement twice. Uh oh. Yeah, it gets so old fast. Yeah. That thing Somebody like fear to motivate ask, you. So I want sensors. Ask me how I know. So you want humidity? <laughs> I wish I had sensors. A, I should have a cooler thing. I want an engine to a rocket ship. Oh, but I don't and think that's not, five they're grand. Not five grand. No. Well, it depends if it was a model. You know, little yeah, one. A model that's one. Too big. What's bigger than D E? <laughs> all of those. It is true that the <laughs> new securities. I mean, the new security systems all have cloud stuff in them. Like it's interesting that it has penetrated the regular mortal. Mm. Yeah. You know that you really can. Yeah. Can actually. Uh, you go to Costco now, that. or you go. Yeah. There's all well, you these know, we, great we got, solutions. Yeah. We, the wife talked me into this place up the coast, and so I had to do a new security system for it. You know, for insurance and stuff. And now you have Otter Entertainment, and I have Otter Entertainment. Yes, yeah. the otters are down there regularly, but. You know, you can arm and disarm with your phone, and you can check yeah. the cameras remotely. We don't have this on the house back in the city, right? So now she's mm-hmm. sort of looking at me like, hey, uh, why does our security system at home suck so much? The mm-hmm. coast place is so good. Like, we have, uh, like, the geofencing. That's yeah. so cool. Exactly. I do. Uh, I have that at the studio now. I have um, doors that I can unlock with my phone from yep. anywhere in the world, and I have cameras I can turn on. So pretty it's really, when, what's interesting is I was out here in Seattle, and it's one o'clock in the morning and I get a text from the landlord and uh, it says, hey, do you have anybody right now in the studio? Because I got a noise complaint from a neighboring building. I go, hang on one second. I look, all the doors are locked and then I pull up the cameras and the studio's empty. I say, nope, I guarantee you there's nothing going yeah, on. I got video of right nobody's now. in there. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. All right, Andrew, your turn. What were you going to buy with five grand? Well, Paul stole my answer. I'd like to, I mean, I'd. Alexa doesn't control nearly enough stuff in my house right now. So, ah. <laughs> Electra, shut off main power. I love doing that. I love doing that. Of course, it is dangerous because I have a five-year-old who's smart enough to work Alexa, but not smart enough to know the consequences. Yeah, so. yeah it's a tough combination. Have you, have you got the whole turn all lights off? Yeah. That's, no, that's why she doesn't control as much stuff as she could right right now. Yeah. Two, two years ago when he was three, we were staying with my cousin, and I walk in the door and I hear Alexa going, would you like me to sign you up for blank? And we're <laughs> No, no. <laughs> he was just talking. Your she order was... is on the way. Yeah. We would like to send a big rocket engine to you for only $50,000. Yes or no? Isn't that how uh, Jeff Bezos bought Whole Foods? Yep. <laughs> Buy something from Whole Foods. Yeah. One of my Buy Whole Foods. Foods. Okay. One of Confirm. my adult friends is a nut, and he bought an entire uh, table saw with, you know, just got it that day. That blew me away. With Alexa? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Real anyway, time ordering. That's a little dangerous. Living in the future, and it's owned by Jeff Bezos, clearly. Oh, my, my, Oh, my, my. goodness, the darn. Well, and, and, and Alexa and Cortana made out on stage this week. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. They were talking to they each other. They were talking to each other. and They were having verbal intercourse. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It's all about the Azure tooling for, for, for voice. Cortana runs in Azure. That's yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, and and needs to for that matter. You know, yeah. it's all, all part part of the process. Uh, what about the debugging aspect of this? Like, I, I think that when you get tangled up in in container behavior and so forth, like actually understand what's going on, it's got to be a non-trivial issue. Yeah, um, couple dimensions to it that I've been thinking about recently with my team. So one is. Um, a lot of times you're dealing with microservices and distributed apps. That in itself is a whole mm-hmm. bunch of uh, complexity that comes with it. And we talked about right. 
transaction tracing and all those mm. kind of goodies. Um, in addition to that, then you've got with containers, um, there's clusters, right? And there's things like controllers and nodes and pods that are like kind of wacky infrastructure and, um, and things come and they go, right? So it, like understanding the exact state something was in at the mm -hmm. time, what images, which versions, it could get pretty crazy. Right. So that adds almost the next level of, you know, how do I, how do I get insight into the state of the system when a bad thing happened? Yeah, right. Um, and am I in a known version? Um, but the cool thing is with containers, there's usually better DevOps, right? But people, oftentimes we see they're, they've got a, a pretty nice DevOps pipeline, continuous delivery and things like that right. to go with their containers. So um, I'm seeing people be very smart and say, well, the health just got pretty bad with my app mm -hmm. running in containers, but I can pinpoint right when it's happening, there was this release, right? And then there's usually monitoring that will say, hey, this release isn't healthy. Let's bounce mm -hmm. it out, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you're almost able to auto-heal some of the problems That's cool. a, a little bit better. Yeah, um, I also think that just that configuration of code mindset means you tend you tend not to get in really unknown states. So you tend to just yep. tear stuff down and rebuild it. So you, you kind of yeah. know what's you going on. You used to exactly just, okay, shoot it down its cattle yeah. and, and mm. come on back. I, I haven't had enough practice with this, but it was, you know, one of my favorite experiments and, and trainings that like the art of a really great website was continuously up upgrades. Yes. Like was being able to roll out the new version of the website while people were still on the website, right. not losing shopping carts, like that whole effect. And mm. it strikes me that containers probably rock at that because mm -hmm. you've, de you've decomposed things more so you can upgrade pieces as long as you've done Definitely. integration testing across them and it's not hard to build a new pod and then just swap traffic over to it and yes. let the old one die. It's almost like, um, you know, with stateless computing, PaaS or IaaS, you get a little bit better about understanding your state should really be externalized yeah. and you want to treat that different than your app code. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so you, you can keep your data there as you just you know, shoot down the actual app code over and over and over again. Um, yeah. So that's, that's that is that cool. sort of, uh, you know, a, a pit of success kind of like you yes. just can't do dumb stuff with state because yeah. you just lose it immediately. Yes. <laughs> you know, pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when you had state? Yeah. You don't have it anymore. It's like an installer with bugs. Like, <laughs> you know, right. Away. You know, you know, quick. Um, speaking of that, speaking of the that, other thing, the, the thing that's really keeping us, pretty busy right now um well, i don't know a couple of things with containers so one is um there's an expectation that of course the ecosystem of containers will run well in azure yep um and also that you can diagnose them and it turns out there's a lot more tech out there than we had previously worked on so right for logging mm. maybe fluent d is a really common log shipper right mm -hmm. or telegraph um, and, you know, there's a lot of languages that are used together, you know, Java, Spring, and Nginx, Node, and mm. all these different stacks. So yeah. um, it's like, how do we make some of our really magic features work well with all these stacks that are constantly evolving? So I think... Right. Um, without having to inconvenience the developer. Without having to inconvenience them and say, hey, like... You can get good diagnostics if you. All you have to do is re-instrument and yeah. like, change everything about what you're doing. Other than yeah. that, it's easy. It's right. 
<laughs> well, um, and, the, and the the IDs that we were talking about, the yes. concurrent IDs? Yes. Is that what they're called? Yeah, the, I call them correlation IDs. Correlation yeah. IDs. So those just slide down. You don't have to pass those. You don't have to change your That's right. Signatures. And we want to we keep that being automatic. Yeah. Um, so what but we're looking... But that's as long as it's your services. As soon as I'm inserting my function or my service or anything like that, mm. I've got to respect that correlation idea i presume yes um although it is automatic using our if in dot net okay, okay yeah um, right right so .net that just realizes that there's a correlation yeah. id coming in yes in a path yes. in a, and it doesn't matter whether and you we add put it that or deep not down into dot net itself it's right. in there okay um, which so. is good so that, that's almost a catch-all right yeah. so it's almost a, like an aspect oriented kind of move because so minute, you made a though, call through dot net if i'm making a rest call and i don't specifically pass it no. does it get passed yes, yes. it does Yes, because um, so Ooh, what Paul's saying is when a request comes in, when in the code that initially handles it, it sets a, for on that thread, right? So it's transient in memory, yep. and then anytime you do anything and inherits that, if you make a rest request, it's going to embed it in the HTTP header, and then when that request arrives on the other side, it's going to read it out of the headers if it finds it. So it goes in the header, even though you specifically say what headers I'm sending, and yeah. you might have the length and all of that stuff. Doesn't matter. It's going to change it. It's going to add it in there. It's going to add it in there. It's, 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 it's having actually, an allergy to that, or you no, don't care? No, no, no. It's really a good thing. Okay. I love yeah. that because yeah. okay. because I don't I ever see it. Yep. You know, I when I when I pull the request out, I don't yep. see that it's there. I don't worry about it when it gets sent, and yep. it just happens. You're gonna need yeah, a fiddler or something to actually see. Hey, there's more. And things that's exactly in here. right. Yeah, yeah. That's a postman fiddler. All those. No, I love things. that. No, and, yep. I, and I've been in the situation where that goes wrong. I'm not saying your guys' stuff goes wrong. Where yep. it, there were tools like a low balance something that modified a header, and so we're yep. looking at the header that we sent. And we're not getting the behavior we want. And it's not until we inserted a sniffer, you know, post device or what actually arrived to go, why is this header why, different? This is spooky. Yeah, <laughs> right. know. What is it, this it's a bug thing? on us if it goes wrong and yeah, we, should never we're going to fix it. So yeah. here's, here's correlation a, ID can probably not hurt anything. Yeah, it's, it's okay. <laughs> you have to be listening to the same exact hash that we yeah. emitted or Seems something unlikely. like that. So um, here's a weird thing. Yeah. Uh, tell me if this exists. Breakpoints in an Azure function? Ooh. Yes, absolutely. Really? Yeah, Groovy. so you can uh, debug them both locally on Visual Studio, or you can remote debug them into App Service. Assuming so they're .NET. There, yeah, okay. So is there any .NET code running on Azure that I can't put a breakpoint on? We don't support debugging into containers from remote debugging into containers from Visual Studio at this okay. time. All right. But that's something on your. If you won't throw something at me, yeah. um, I'm putting up my blockers. <laughs> The, we've done a lot of uh, things with a snapshot debugger to kind of handle... You do love your snapshot I debugger, do, I know. <laughs> I've got to pedal my wares a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, because you know, remote, remote debugger, super handy, right? Because you could just attach to something, get to the truth fast. But the bad, the bad thing is, like the word breakpoint, you are breaking the right. process in, in a server so that's the bad. snapshot debugger, just tell us what Yeah, it is. snapshot debugger, long story short, um, based on triggers or conditions that you set... Um, an actual process dump, an actual process snapshot will be created by the mm. operating system. Yeah. Happens in about 10 milliseconds. It's shelved to the side. Nice. The service in the operating system keep running. So now it's, it's still a healthy service, just a very yeah. quick snapshot. And that's saved off to Azure. Yeah, okay. And you can get to it any time. And it's also correlated using all this fun correlation right. stuff. So now when there's a problem or something interesting happens, you actually have a debuggable mini dump to go with it. So I don't have to console.log got here. <laughs> I don't have to do that. No, Is that you, what you're you saying? Do. Yeah. You still I need to do it. Single R to the browser. <laughs> <laughs> 
For you, I would recommend you you keep doing that. that. Paul has has actually added logic into the tool. If Carl Franklin, then. (laughs) And please stop changing your email address. (laughs) We know them all. It doesn't matter. Oh, so, <laughs> bad. so bad. We'll find you. I used to have to do that in ASP. In sure. an yeah, ASP page because this logic got so convoluted. You just had to write, you know, message box show or whatever. Yeah, you know, message it box show. Here. You should it's never super get ironic. here. I, I remember that is, I didn't understand debuggers. And I was yeah. total printf style dude yeah, in, yeah. In, in my student days. Well, and now... I, I, I think one of the things since yeah. this .NET rocks, we get really lazy with an awesome debugger in yeah. .NET. I remember when I was yeah. in a university, it was all C++ console apps and Linux, mm. and GDB is just so painful that oh. most of the time oh. printf was far. Oh. <laughs> the shivers. You only use GDB if you couldn't figure it out from printf. You really needed to debug it bad. Yeah. <laughs> like GDB, GDB is your debugger. Yeah. Yeah. How so, much do you hate yourself? Uh, I think going back to your original question, so we're making sure that snapshot debugging works in all of these places because it just seems more favorable to this kind of live real-time stuff cloud, whether yeah. it's production or it's just real-time like yeah you're well, saying. And, and again you get in unreproducible situations right right it's, yep i mean i'm not gonna say it's a downside of the cloud but the reality of the cloud is that you don't actually know the conditions that your application was actually operating under at the time right, right? and then and there's going to be a certain number of unknowns and we've certainly seen this on the dotnet rock side it's like when SQL Azure does a maintenance cycle. Sometimes it causes a hiccup on the site. Yeah. And you yep. get messages from insights and so forth, like you can see all that. Mm. But we don't own that stuff. We don't really know what's going on with it all of the time. And so it's useful to be able to not play that unreproducible game. How yeah. about just give me a copy of what happened? Mm. Yes. And now you can also decide, you know, I want to see when this happens, go give me some debugging for it. Right. Sure. So now, if Cortana it, can explain it to me. <laughs> Now you've got something. It's like, okay, I got this log. Now what happened? <laughs> what happened? What, what was that about exactly? Yeah. Yes. Um, we've not talked about Docker at all. We've talked about containers, and I kind of feel like when you're talking about, you only talk about container orchestration, never really go to back to Docker, which is kind of the root of all that. Is there anything new in Docker? Does it just work now? Um, I mean, it works really well. I, I'm, I love um, all the updates that have happened in Docker for Windows so that mm-hmm. you can run in your you know, Visual Studio and .NET environment mm. just more seamlessly. Um, like, really cool thing. It's easier than ever to switch between Windows and Linux containers. Yeah. And we even have the option in our tooling to kind of quickly pick um, which one will be used. Um, if you watch, I mean, I don't want to speak for Docker, but there's cool things I'm seeing as a, as a user going on in their alpha channel. So, like, mm-hmm. there, there is Kubernetes support um, that's starting to show up there so that... Um, in Docker for Windows? In Docker for Windows. Yeah. yeah. Or, uh, the, the Windows one looks like it's still coming. But okay. just, yeah, in Docker for Windows, um, there is some Kubernetes support. So today, like, if you want multiple Docker containers, you use Compose. And as right. we talked about, Compose Kubernetes, and Swarm. Like, yeah, Swarm and Compose go together, But right? those were the Docker tools. But now you could actually, like, send a Kubernetes manifest and start on Docker for Windows. Yeah, so right. Okay. 
um, that's pretty powerful. Can you think of other things that are interesting? Oh, one of the things that we're doing oh, we, that we, we just shipped, shipped uh, God, yeah, it's, 15 It's been eight, a long week. Uh, <laughs> is the, uh, we've gotten rid of the need for the Docker Compose project. Uh, and if you're working with a single project in Visual Studio, mm. which one of the things I do in my uh, other part of a job where I'm not working with Paul is my team owns the .NET CLI and .NET Core SDK. Right. And so the Docker Compose project that always tripped up building solutions uh, as part of the .NET CLI and so by removing the need for the DC proj, um, or the Docker Compose project, we've actually now made uh, Docker pro- Dockerized projects much more compatible with the .NET CLI as well. Yeah, very good. Visual Studio is very strict and honorary about nesting of things. Like solutions and projects need to be at the right order or things go a bit haywire. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just not even getting into that realm is good. Uh, another thing I've noticed is um, for if you've just got a simple web app, and now you add Docker support, you'll just get the Docker file. And the cool thing is it starts so fast because you're not right. loading all this extra overhead to right. actually orchestrator. You're just saying Docker run, mm. here's my Docker file, boom, up it goes. So, um, and then you get the cool loop where then you can publish it straight into, let's say, Azure App Service um, or AKS and off you go. So just, mm. just a rapid loop. You just fly through using Docker. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, can I tell a story too? It's kind of interesting. Uh, Docker, very interesting, kind of like brand strength, like very, very compelling. So I think, were you there when we did this? We we usually ask people, like, who's using containers and who's developing with containers today? And people, Paul's pointing at Andrew, by the way, when yeah. he says, yeah, 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 you? sorry, yeah. Andrew. I we can hear that. We can hear that. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, you could, you heard that. So we're looking around and people are kind of looking at each other. Just a couple hands sheepishly go up. Like, this is odd. Who's using Docker? Oh, hands go up. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so hmm. I think the general concept of containers and just that in the vocabulary hasn't picked up as quickly as Docker has. Yeah. Kleenex or facial tissue. Yeah. Right. Kleenex or facial sure. tissue. So it's just an interesting anecdote. It is interesting. Yeah. Um, what people think. Yep. Yeah. So, so what's new? What's next? What's new? What's build? next? Yeah. So like lot i mean we talked about containers there's a lot more to do um container diagnostics um that working better with helm i think is a a yeah i think for the next quite a few months it's taking all of our stuff that people showed on stage related to kubernetes and making it real so that people can use it and it's part of the product right yeah yeah. dev spaces what's happened with with service fabric yeah service fabric so uh, yet another happening this week right um so they if if you check out the session on service fabric they unveiled this idea of service fabric mesh and you guys get to check that out so um there's a mesh service another name for fabric yes that's another <laughs> we're running out of english language words <laughs> to describe the you, same this thing. one i i would totally check it out okay like, especially so service fabric, when I think about it, it is awesome for writing microservices. Right. It's an awesome runtime for describing stateful applications and all kind of the rocket science problems that come with that. Right. Uh, even though I'm not going to get my rocket engine. Oh, well. Um, anyway, so it, it, it's super good for that. But service fabric wasn't for the squeamish, right, in the past. Right. So in, the, in service fabric mesh, the application model is so, so simplified. Mm. Um, it's, it's really nice. You just kind of say, I want these containers, I want these ports, and you're mm-hmm. off to the races. The second thing is it just works with ordinary .NET apps. Wow. Right? So if you're used to writing a .NET app, 
and you want to use something like a stateful, reliable collection, like, yeah. you know, effectively running, writing to memory with that kind of a speed yeah. and having it replicated everywhere, mm-hmm. um, it's incredibly easy. Just bring in a new get yeah. and use the reliable collection. And you didn't have to have a new base class. Wow there and kind of re-architect your app to get that benefit yeah, just do it in any dotnet app as long as great. service fabrics there it's going to run that way to me that's that's huge freaking awesome yeah it yeah. is um i mean you just took away a whole bunch of setup and yeah configuration and the guys at the the booth they're showing me some really cool stuff so like one one scenario was they showed um sql data and it was postgres sql just mm-hmm. happened but they were writing that to the reliable um, drives of the reliable state of service fabric mm-hmm. and it was just lightning fast and replicated by default so they took an existing app they used that technology in postgres they didn't rewrite it at all they just kind of binded to the reliable mm. state in service fabric and they modernized that whole thing wow that was super cool Too they showed true. wordpress doing that too yeah and nice. just to kind of paint the imagination of everything you know about dotnet and windows apps you can do Mm. Some freaking cool things now. Sure. In a distributed system. Wow, that's great. So um, wow. I would check that out. And we we made pretty cool tooling for it. So you get F5 and publish and uh-huh. um, all the goodies. Uh, that's awesome. Yep. Well, uh, Paul, Andrew, thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Likewise. My right. first time on the show. I'm so excited. I know. Congratulations. It's crazy. I went too to, long. <laughs> I went to add him as a guest and he wasn't in the database. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yep. How's this How did true? that happen? We've done all our talking, you yeah. know, and just it's okay. I've been on the .NET team since 2000. If you want, yeah, to, you know, know it's yeah. never too late. We're never going to try and guilt us on that. Are you <laughs> never <laughs> right. Give that a shot. All right, thanks, thanks, guys, thanks, guys, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.